The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Talo for lover. I'm Madeline Chapman, editor at The Spin-Off. If you have the means, consider supporting our high-quality journalism by becoming a Spin-Off member. Sign up now at thespinoff.co.nz/donate. When the Facts Change is brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network in partnership with Kiwi Bank. The bank for Kiwi, looking to get ahead in business and in life. A bank that delivers expertise and banking know-how, smart advice for business owners wanting to invest, grow their business or diversify. A bank that adapts with technology through the lens of its people and customers. It is a bank with heart that is driven by its purpose. Kiwi making Kiwi better off. When I first started thinking about how the economy works, I was pretty naive, to be honest. I was trained up economics 101, you know, supply, demand, free market, fair and equally available information. The idea that you have a market where people are supplying goods into the market. You have a group of people on the other side of the market who are buying those goods. And it's all thrown in the middle and... Magically, a price appears to clear the market. All sounds very simple and fair, doesn't it? And that's how I thought the world worked. And that's how I was told the world worked through the 1980s and 1990s, as a lot of economists, people in politics and markets wanted to get government out of the economy, to let the market flower, to find the right price to stop trying to control prices or somehow misallocate resources by setting the wrong prices, that companies and markets were the best place to set prices. And that all made sense to me in the 1980s and 1990s as I went through my economics training. And then along came, actually, I was in a job that wasn't specifically about journalism. For a brief period, I worked for Telecom, the New Zealand telecommunications company, which is now called Spark and was eventually split up into two companies called Spark and Chorus. But back in 2003, when I was working for it, running a, an editorial operation called Extra MSN, remember that? You probably don't. But Uh, One of my jobs was to sit in on the executive meetings for telecom. And it's long enough now where I think I can say what happened. The company's been broken up. The people don't work there anymore. So I wanted to tell you a little story about how prices were set in the real world. Telecom at that point, it wasn't really a monopoly, but it certainly dominated the market. And it set prices for landline and mobile. And I thought that there was a reasonably free market. There was competition with Bell South, with Vodafone, and it all seemed very competitive. But then one afternoon, I was sitting at the back of a meeting and not really having much to do apart from listen. And it suddenly occurred to me that the executive meeting was making a decision about prices for the next year. And the executive started talking about how to set the prices. And it occurred to me that he wasn't so much responding to the market. He was saying, this will be the price. And then he said something really shocking to me. I'm pretty naive at this point. He said, 
we're a freaking monopoly. We can set the price wherever we want. And it's going to be this price. And it's going to be more than inflation. Do it. And I looked around thinking, someone's going to stop this, right? This can't be right. <laughs> but no, that's what happened. The price was set. No one complained. Everyone paid. And it was slightly more than inflation. From then on, I started being a bit wary, a little bit cynical of this idea that markets set perfect prices and that you have free markets where if you have too much demand and a similar amount of supply, you'll see prices jump up and that's inflation. And that when you have too much money chasing too few goods, you'll see inflation. Now, for a long time, this didn't really matter much because we didn't have much inflation. And there's an entire generation of people who are consumers or managers or investors who for the last, most of the last 30 years or so, haven't had to think about inflation, haven't had to worry where it's coming from. For most goods and services, inflation was around about 2% or slightly less than that. And what we typically became used to, particularly in things like imported electronics, was that prices actually fell a lot and that there was really tough competition. And if you were a company, you couldn't just put up your price because if you did, people would race somewhere else and get the product or the service from somewhere else. So there wasn't a lot of inflation in prices that were being set all over the place. There was the odd exception, of course, but in most places, inflation was under control. Then COVID hit, then we had a bunch of supply shocks, all sorts of problems getting shipping around the place, and then suddenly inflation took off. And everyone's looking at each other going, what on earth has gone on here? So we watched and we waited, and we thought that it would go away by itself, and then it didn't, and then the hunt for the culprit began. This episode of When the Facts Change is all about the hunt for the source of inflation, globally and in Aotearoa, who is responsible for putting up prices much faster than we've ever experienced? Is it central banks who created a lot of money all around the world, which had to chase a certain amount of goods and services? Or was it the governments who have been spending a lot through COVID, in some cases giving cash to people to just go out there and spend, pumping lots of money into the economy? Or is it employees who've demanded higher wage increases, particularly after COVID when there wasn't that many people around to do the work, and were employees responsible, forcing through wage price spirals? Well, it turns out it isn't so much the government, it isn't so much the Reserve Bank, although both of them can take some of the credit or the blame, it certainly isn't workers. There's another culprit one that we didn't see much of when we last saw inflation this high during the 1960s, 70s, and 80s. This culprit is the corporate price setter. Just like in that meeting in Telecom in 2003, when I discovered if you had a lot of market power, you could pretty much put the price up whenever you wanted if you thought you could get away with it. And that's what we've seen for the last couple of years. People getting away with putting up prices faster then their costs have increased. In effect, their profit margins have increased. And we're only starting to learn this now. In this week's When the Facts Change, we'll go on a bit of a magical mystery tour that started for me on January the 12th this year. 
remember there was a lot of rain in January. So when I should have been out at the beach relaxing and sunbathing, instead I was at home scratching around looking for things to do. And in my world, and it's a pretty sad world, I have to say, when I'm a bit bored, I go looking for academic papers, academic papers about economics. And on January the 12th, a quite interesting paper come out of the Federal Reserve Bank of the Kansas City Federal Reserve. So we're talking Midwestern United States Central Bank academic paper. January the 12th, I should have been at a beach, but it was raining, so I decided to read this paper. And what this paper did was in many ways catalyze what I've been thinking for a while, that corporate profit drivers were driving inflation, particularly when the pressure was on the system. This paper from the Kansas City Fed actually said that almost half of the inflation in the United States in the last couple of years had come from companies increasing their profit margins. Now, the conclusion from the Kansas City Fed was this was companies moving in advance of cost increases that were going to come down the line, and they weren't necessarily abusing their market power. But certainly the jury is out on that, and people are beginning to ask questions in universities and in central banks about just how much of the inflation has come from corporate decision makers, from companies with significant market power who have much bigger market shares and aren't being cramped by government regulators anymore. So I kept that idea of that paper in the back of my mind until a few days ago when the Reserve Bank had one of its rare monetary policy statement meetings. And I got a chance at the end of the press conference to ask this question. Uh, just separately on the causes of inflation, uh, how much of a factor is the widening of profit margins by companies, be it state-owned or private, in the inflation that we've seen in the last couple of years? Because I see the Kansas City Fed put out a paper showing that half the inflation in the United States in 2021 was because of rising profit margins. What's the story here? Uh, I'm unaware of the Kansas research, but Paul? Yeah, I think we're a little... The data around profits in the New Zealand economy is, is, is lacking. Um, so we're much... You know, it's much easier to see these types of dynamics in, in wages, but just because there's a lack of data doesn't mean there's a lack of a, of an issue there as well, which is why before, you know, I talked about real wages and real profits um, being, you know, potential drivers of inflation if you're trying to sort of keep a, keep ahead of the price spikes caused by the cyclone. So I think it's an excellent question, uh, and I would love to have a, a really strong answer to it. Um, but, but unfortunately, the data, data doesn't allow it at present, and it's something I hope to rectify going forward. And uh, we're a developed functioning economy, as is the US. Mm. Um, we're similar cyclical positions, so I would struggle to why, why it would be that much different here. So that's Adrian Orr grasping a little bit at the idea that maybe it's not the Reserve Bank or the government, maybe there's a bit of corporate responsibility here. But in the political debate, this isn't part of it yet. About 12 hours later... We went across the road to the Finance and Expenditure Select Committee for some real fireworks between two people, Nicola Willis and Adrian Orr, who, let's be fair, don't love each other that much. Remember last year, Nicola Willis said that Adrian Orr shouldn't be reappointed as Reserve Bank Governor. 
in the end, the government did. And we face this really awkward situation now where within seven or eight months, we could have a national government with Finance Minister Nicola Willis working with Adrian Orr, the Independent Reserve Bank Governor, one holding one lever of the economy, fiscal policy, the other holding the other lever of the economy, monetary policy, and they don't get on at all. And if you want a sense of how they don't get on, have a listen to this exchange. Good morning, Governor. Are you failing at your job? You're meant to keep inflation under 3%. It's been outside that for almost two years now. You're predicting it will remain outside that for three years. Isn't that a failure? Uh, no, it's not a failure. We're always forward-looking with our monetary policy. Um, inflation expectation remain well anchored. I think globally you'll see that all central banks are in the same uh, uh, situation. When you have large negative economic shocks, which could be up or down, um, that's what happens to inflation. Our challenge is always to be re-anchoring it back to the medium term. The period over which you've mentioned, you, you um, we're all aware of the various significant global economic shocks and now local ones that have hit the economy. Uh, we, like everyone, uh, want to see inflation back to 1% to 3%. Well, speaking of other countries, when we look at countries who are not directly exposed to the Russian energy shock, US, Canada, the US, where inflation is now 6.4, predicted to be 5 by Easter, Canada, where it's 5.9. Why are we so worse off? Why is inflation so entrenched in our economy? Uh, it's no more entrenched than it is in any of their economies. I think, if, as, as you've mentioned, if you take out some of the high-frequency near-term shock out of those CPI data, you will come to something that we call and reference often core inflation, the demand-driven, domestic-driven inflation. When you look at core inflation across countries, they are all roughly the same. They're all in that 6% type inflation range at the moment. Headline inflation in some countries has come down. Uh, but core inflation remains very, very sticky. Uh, the number one challenge going on in financial markets at the moment is always trying to guess when the next, when the beginning of monetary easing starts in the US. Um, the US, the Canadians, the Australians are all insistent they have far much more work to do. Uh, I will note we have uh, um, uh, record low unemployment as well. So in the parlance of a misery index, of um, how much inflation do you need to suffer, how much unemployment do you need to suffer, we are at a, a, a very low um, position. We're, we're in a strong position. Well, I would beg to differ. I'd say the misery index is very high here. And I just want to check your remarks. Are you claiming that inflation in New Zealand is at the same level as it is in the US? Because no. the figures I've seen no, show that I'm, inflation I'm is saying... higher here than it is in the US or Canada. Are you disputing that? Uh, no, I am not saying inflation. So it is worse here, isn't it? Uh, current headline. I am saying the part that matters for monetary policy, core inflation, is broadly the same across many countries. So, but for, for someone in our economy, prices are rising faster in New Zealand than they are in the US or Canada. Can I note that inflation in those countries peaked much higher than they did here, double digits. And now it's coming down faster. Uh, in part because of those one-off temporary measures that you have chosen to remove this time. Um, we have a graph here in figure 3.4. I've just had handed to me Australia, the United States, the euro area, New Zealand, are all within Kui of um, annual CPI inflation of around 6%.
And it went on like that for a wee while, going back and forth. Adrian Orr saying that Nicola Willis was cherry-picking numbers. Nicola Willis saying she was outraged. Uh, good fun. Although you do wonder what happens if they are together in a crisis, trying to make the right decisions for the economy, or if they actually fundamentally disagree and start working against each other. Well, the other area of conflict is around fiscal policy, and Nicola Willis is trying to get Adrian Orr to dob the government in as creator of inflation by spending too much. Here's the latest exchange. You've made fairly extensive comments now and yesterday about the challenge of constraining uh, government spending when inflation is so high. Isn't the corollary of that that it would be much easier to reduce that impulse now if the government hadn't been spending at such elevated levels for so long, and if New Zealand hadn't printed and borrowed as much money as it did? Uh, again, I can't answer hypothetical questions, sorry. But why, so why is it that you're able to comment on how challenging it is for the government now, I'm but you're not able to comment on how challenging the government made it for us now? Because uh, I'm sitting here talking about our monetary policy looking forward. This is not an historical. Uh, again, I, I would, I would really. I, I'm not trying to avoid it. I, I just don't know how to answer that because you would have to say, did we not have a COVID exchange? Did we not have a um, energy price? You know, it's 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 a non-trivial question you're asking because you can't just hold one thing constant and have everything else change. But all else being equal, if the government had put less stimulus to the economy, been more disciplined about its spending, and the Reserve Bank had printed less money, the inflation position would not be as bad as it is today. I don't know about that last bit, but um, the government's been all else equal. If there's less spending, there's less demand, and hence less inflationary pressure, yes. So Adrian or finally saying, yeah, maybe there's something in that. I think the phrase, all else being equal, got his attention. Economists love that phrase, all else being equal. When the Facts Change is brought to you in partnership with Kiwi Bank to help you understand the issues affecting the economy. And that's what their team of experts is here to do too. Here's Kiwi Bank economist Sabrina Delgado on what's happening with the labour market in Aotearoa. Our slowing economy gives way to higher unemployment, and we're seeing tightness in the labour market quickly abating. Both a recovery on the supply side, with our surging migration, boosting labour supply, and loosening some very tight labour market conditions. But now a stronger narrative is coming through. As consumer demand cools, so too is the demand for labour. Firms are no longer hiring with the same gusto. Already, unemployment has started to lift from record lows, and we expect that to continue throughout 2024. Visit kiwibank.co.nz to stay up to date with detailed economic analysis and forecasts from Sabrina and other KiwiBank experts. They take big issues from both here and overseas and make them relevant to Kiwi businesses. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has the lowdown on everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market, the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. 
Join some of the superstars of the investment and business world as they share advice from their time in the US so you can make your mahi count in this massive market. The Investment Fix Podcast, brought to you by Invest New Zealand. Tune in today. But all else isn't really equal when it comes to corporate profits. And I threw in the Kansas City Fed paper the previous day. Well, it turned up again in the Finance and Expenditure Select Committee, where Julianne Genta, the Green MP, referred to it in a question to Adrian Orr, which was answered mostly by Paul Conway. Here's Julianne Genta. Uh, going back to high corporate profits and contribution potentially to inflation, um, the Kansas City <coughs> Fed published some work that suggested that uh, firms setting higher prices because they had expectations of inflation uh, probably overshot and that has contributed to inflation. Um, what work, you know, will the RBNZ look at that? Now they were, they were suggesting it didn't even require a monopoly situation mm-hmm. and potentially in the US being much more competitive, uh, larger market. Um, that's why inflation's come down faster there. But in New Zealand, we have a couple of sectors that are stubbornly non-competitive being small and far away and various other things. So I'm just wondering if, you know, if RBNZ has looked at it all, at that all, will they look at that at all? Yeah. Um, I would say there's more than a couple of sectors where weak competitive pressures are an issue in this economy. The fact of being small and, and distant, uh, as you said, uh, does not lend itself to sort of thickly competitive uh, markets. In terms of work that we've done uh, on on sort of, you know, we, we spend time talking about a, a wage price spiral and how that would embed inflation in the economy and necessitate higher interest rates. We spend less time talking about a profit, uh, a price or a profit cost, cost, profit, price sort of spiral. Uh, and I think a big part of the reason for that is that we're really hamstrung uh, on the data front. We don't really have good uh, national accounts measures uh, of profitability mm-hmm. in this economy. And there's a, there's a few ways around it. We can sort of get at it through microdata. Um, and we do have a microdata like you know, using sort of tax records, that kind of stuff. Uh, and we do have a research agenda uh, in, in the microdata space uh, at Tabutia Matua, and I'm really interested in this issue. Um, so going forward, uh, I, I would like us to be doing some work in the space, but, but the answer is we, we don't really know much about this issue uh, so, currently. So in a simple term, owners of capital can raise prices just as owners of labour can mm. ask for higher wages. Mm. Um, both are critically important. Mm to it and if um, prices are being risen for for no other reason then then um, then they think that they can achieve that and still make their customers that is what creates generalized inflationary pressure so this is something new really we used to think inflation was all about wage price spirals and i wanted to think about the history of this because the last time we had inflation in the 70s and 80s the focus was really on who had the power to increase wages, and that eventually got passed into price inflation. A few hours later, I actually sat down with Paul Conway to talk about this, the history of inflation. And a big part of the homegrown stuff is wages, and there's been a lot of focus on so-called wage price spirals. Mm. And that phrase, wage price spiral, um, is a bit of an archaic one for a whole bunch of people people uh, up and down the motu who uh, have been used to being working in the last 20 or 30 years where they haven't maybe felt a lot of market power 
and uh, they just take what they get in terms of pay increases. Mm. Um, and, they, and they may be wondering, what is this wage price spiral I hear about? Um, and it's worth, I think, giving some context and a bit of history here that the last time we had inflation up near here for any length of time, the 70s, the 80s, into the very early 1990s, the New Zealand economy was quite a bit different in that we had a bigger share of the workforce in unions. We didn't have the Employment Contracts Act. Uh, often when there was an increase in inflation, the workers would get together in a pretty big way and demand a big pay increase. And you might have uh, a big agreement done between um, a big union and a big government. <laughs> and uh, bang, you'd get a big pay increase that comes went through. And that was one of the concerns about inflation is that the speed and the size of the you know, feedback loop between wages and prices was often quite big. Mm. But since then, we've had the Employment Contracts Act. We'd have globalization of labor forces. We've had a shift from... A lot of people working in factories and big workplaces with unions to a lot of people work, working in cafes and shops where it may not be unionized. Um, and so I, I wonder when you look at the data today, how much of a factor is the wage price spiral, so to speak? And you, you've looked at some of the, the data on things like how fast pay is increasing, whether there's a connection between those who are jumping from jobs and pay increases. Um, what, what have you found? Yeah, I, I, like I think this is a really interesting uh, topic, and and I agree completely that the labour market now is very different to what it was, you know, back in the day. The last time we had uh, elevated or inflation higher than it is currently, um, and you know, as you say, unionisation isn't as strong uh, as it was. So you know, I, I think we do have a pretty competitive labour market uh, in this country, but I, I also, you know, you can't, you can't. Sort of take it for granted that we're not going to see these kind of wage price dynamics. Um, currently, real wage growth is positive. So, real wage uh, increases when you take into the, into account the fact that people can change jobs, uh, get promoted, or work longer hours. You know, it's 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 ahead. It's tracking ahead of inflation. Um, you know, and that could be underpinned by productivity improvements. It could be underpinned by people moving to jobs with their skills. Are more suited and therefore they're creating more value per hour of work which is you know that's that would be great that would be a legitimate reason for a pay rise but it could uh, reflect um, this sort of just trying to keep up with inflation um, so you know we're not it's it's you know even though the labor market has become more competitive I don't think you can take your eye off the potential for those dynamics um, to evolve and in fact there's a graph in the NPS showing that people um, or some people exactly are, are getting pay increases more frequently uh, than they used to be. So again, you know, just a sign that we, we can't take, take this for granted, that there is going to be no dynamic there. But I think, you know, the, like profits is the other uh, aspect, you know, the return to the owners of capital. Uh, if profits are just increasing off the back of increasing costs, um, you know, it's quite possible that you get the same dynamic in that part of the economy. And we know a lot less about that potential dynamic than we do about, about sort of wage uh, cost dynamics. So I think that's an interesting area to explore as well. And I, I, would, I would posit that our product markets in New Zealand are less competitive than our labor market. Um, so, you know, therefore, 
there's, there's definitely a possibility of, of that sort of thing happening. Because we have some pretty good and deep stats in several surveys looking at wages and obviously prices, but maybe not quite the depth of data ill frequency around profits. Mm. Now you have to dig a bit harder. You have to look into the micro data uh, to, to, get, uh, to get that. The, the, the data on profits is improving and we definitely will be looking at it, um, but you sort of have to do it with micro data. Um, the, other, the other aspect of it is good measures of competition uh, in our markets, which is the kind of thing that the Commerce Commission uh, is, is all over. You know, I'm really supportive of the Commerce Commission having the power to do market studies. Uh, for example, these days, I think that's a really you know, good uh, evolution in our regulatory uh, framework in New Zealand. So some work to be done on working out who is actually engaging in a profit price spiral. Maybe it's actually the government itself. Because remember, the government controls in New Zealand, the three big gen tailors. And I wondered if Chris Hipkins, who's really focused on inflation, cost of living, bread and butter issues, I wonder what he's actually doing about making sure government companies aren't abusing their market power. So I went along to the Beehive a few days later to have a chat with Chris Hipkins in the post-cabinet news conference. Minister, the, um, uh, on cost of living, uh, the uh, inflation um, surge is at least partly due to companies increasing their profits and the Reserve Bank is now investigating more into which companies and how much. Government-owned companies, including Air New Zealand, the three big gen tailors, have all increased their prices and their profits. Are you concerned that companies and government-owned companies are responsible for a significant chunk of the cost of living crisis you dedicated yourself to? For me, obviously, I saw the, the result from Air New Zealand last week, as everybody else did. That comes off the back of a period where Air New Zealand's been clocking up relatively significant deficits. Um, and so we have to consider it in light of that as well. It's, a, it's an impressive turnaround for Air New Zealand, and I think we should acknowledge that. And they have a significant amount of debt that they've accumulated during the time that they've been running deficits that they're aiming to repay as well. Repay their, start repaying dividends three years early. Yeah, so look, those are conversations that we will work through with the relevant companies, and the Minister of Finance will lead that work, but yes, they're, they're, they're live conversations that we'll have with them. And, and the Reserve Bank is also critical of the banks for not passing on rate increases to term deposits, making the inflation fight harder. What's your view then on the banks not playing their part? Um, it's an ongoing and live conversation with the banks. I'll share it with them before I share it with the rest of the country. So plenty of live conversations in our economy at the moment uh, involving the Prime Minister, the Reserve Bank, the opposition, and a few companies who maybe have taken advantage of the opportunity of rising prices to just pad their profits a bit. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was When the Facts Change and a tale of what happened on a wet, soggy January afternoon when I got bored looking at academic papers from the Kansas City Federal Reserve. When the Facts Change was brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network, together with KiwiBank. Visit kiwibank.co.nz to find out how KiwiBank are making Kiwi better off. Kia ora e te iwi, te here. Podcast Manager at the Spin-Off. 
If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a spin-off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.